back home to my church and my people and my friends. <laughs> uh, you know, there, the, God has scattered his people widely. He has sown them in every place. Uh, yes, if you're, a child, if you're a child who fits in the profile for children's church up through third grade, kindergarten through third grade, you are dismissed at this point. So go enjoy yourselves with your teacher. Um, God has scattered his people widely all over the earth, and it is good to be with them. It is great encouragement to be with them in other parts of the world. But as Dorothy said, it is no, there is no place like home. Amen? And uh, uh, there is something very special about the, the local body of Christ as well as the, the universal body of Christ. Uh, and we're connected to both, but uh, God intends for us to be deeply connected where we are. Um, I think it's about... What time is it? It's uh, about 11 o'clock. Okay, so it's about dinner time for Wendy and me. <laughs> okay, at least according to my body. Um, and, and so I'm a, little, I'm a little out of sorts this morning. I'm still jet lagging very hard. But my, uh, my spiritual bucket is full. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the things that we have learned over the summer and the, the ways in which uh, God's Spirit has refreshed us, and I'll have more to share about that uh, in weeks to come. We'll actually probably try to schedule an evening and tell you all about the summer and about Congo and what we've been up to and all of that kind of thing. But this morning, uh, we want to open the Word of God together to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at just two verses, verses 12 and 13. And as you're making your way there, I'll just tell you this, that one of the things that is constantly on my heart is improving the health of the church that I have been given the responsibility to lead as pastor. And I am concerned, first of all, uh, for my own soul as part of it, uh, that uh, I will have to one day give account for my own self and my own life uh, before the Lord, but also because... Uh, I will also one day give account before the Master uh, for, the, for the church that I'm entrusted with, just as you will one day give account for your life before the Master also. And so want to uh, make sure that we are always striving to improve the health of our church. And, uh, and I want all of us to experience all the blessings that God has for us and that he designs for us to experience and that he has called us into the church to experience. And so in addition, uh, over the summer to, to looking at things related to my own spiritual life, I spent some time reading and studying about the church and its ministries. And it occurred to me that in the last eight years as pastor here, I've never done a, a sermon series specifically about the church and what it's supposed to do, and what it's supposed to be about. Uh, and so I thought, you know, that's kind of a, a big oversight. Uh, you lead a church, everybody's coming to church, participating in ministry at church, but we, don't, we never stop to actually define what church is, and what we're supposed to be doing, and what we're supposed to be about, and uh, what the Bible has to say to us about the church and our role in it. So for about the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing that, 
uh, looking at what the church is and what uh, Jesus created it to do. So I want to give you a definition uh, to start with about what a church is and what the church is. Okay, A church is a local community of those who have by grace, through faith, been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and which displays the necessary marks of orthodoxy, order, and ordinances, and the necessary works of evangelism, edification, and exaltation. Two pillars. Orthodoxy, order, ordinances, marks, and works of evangelism, edification, exaltation. Community uh, of people who belong to Jesus Christ, who've been baptized into his body by the Holy Spirit, and display those marks and works. Uh, and the church is the living congregation of all spirit-baptized people from all times, all places, and all churches who likewise display these necessary marks and works. Now, you don't need to write that down. I'll be fleshing that out a little bit more as, as uh, weeks go on, and you'll actually, I'll have, I'll have a, I have a picture for you, a little diagram you can look at, and we'll, uh, we'll look at that in more detail. But I want to draw our attention to the first part of that definition today, that a, a church is a local community of those who, by grace, through faith, have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And so if you've got your Bible there, uh, I want to look at these two verses uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, at least uh, in America, uh, this is a very familiar uh, couple of verses. It's in the middle of a very familiar chapter uh, that gets talked about a lot. Uh, it's, it's chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. It's actually the intro to three chapters that Paul does on spiritual gifts. Uh, everybody likes chapter 13, the love chapter, right? But it's, it's related to this overall topic of spiritual gifts and how that all functions and so forth. And everybody uh, is familiar with that. But I want to look at, at these two verses specifically because they tell us some important things about what it really means to be a real community in a real way as part of one body, the body of Christ. And that's actually the first thing that Paul tells us there in verse 12, that there is one body. We are part of one organism the church, the body of Christ. That's true in the ultimate sense uh, as well as in the local sense, personally and congregationally. We are connected to one organism, the church. And the church is an important, in an important way the physical, spiritual body of Jesus Christ on the earth right now. So if people ask, where is Jesus post-resurrection? There are two answers to that question. 
One answer is the answer that Hebrews gives, which is Jesus Christ is ascended to the right hand of God the Father, seated at the right hand of God because his work as high priest and sacrifice for us as the establishment of the, uh, of the Melchizedekian priesthood and all of that has all been accomplished and Jesus' work is done and so he sat down at the right hand of God where he serves today as our high priest and advocate before God. Amen. Right? But there is another sense in which we might answer that question this way. Where is Jesus? He is on earth now. Thus Luke begins his, uh, his account of Acts by saying, I wrote to you in my former book, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach in the gospel prior to the ascension. And then the book of Acts is about the continuation of all that Jesus is continuing to do and teach. How is Jesus doing that? Through his people, through the church. Amen? The church is the physical, spiritual body of Christ on the earth so that Jesus Christ is embodied in people on the earth right now in the church. And that one body manifests itself in local communities, local churches, each of which is the church as a whole in miniature. And just as the church overall is one body with many parts, so each local church is also one body or one community with many parts, and all of them are connected to one another through the living Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Head. And each individual part exists to be one variety of the living manifestation of Christ's presence to other people, both within the church and those outside it. Amen? And so you see in the church, you see unity in diversity, but also diversity in unity. And that important, that important reality has some implications and applications for us. And you see, first of all, that just as there are many parts of the physical body and all of them are necessary for your overall health and life, you know, like try cutting off some, some uh, various portions of your anatomy and see if that contributes to your overall health and life, right? Things that uh, all the parts of the body that there are need to be there. And if any one of them is missing... Something has gone seriously wrong, right? Raise your hand if you would like to chop off one of your fingers, right? I mean, that happens sometimes. You know, Pastor Ed down at the Assembly of God Church lost part of a finger in a log splitter a couple years back, okay? And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't shake hands anymore. He does fist bumps, all right? <laughs> because there's still some sensitivity there. Okay? Nobody wants to voluntarily do that, right? I had my gallbladder out a few years ago, and you can live without your gallbladder. But there are some things that you can't do anymore because you don't have that part of your body, right? Uh, or you see these vets that come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and some of them lost legs or arms or eyes or whatever, uh, lost the ability to walk in some cases, those guys are handicapped because parts of the body are missing. And the idea is also true in the local body of Christ. 
that real community requires both the real presence and the real functioning of every member of the body. Amen? You know, if you have a, a part of your body that is present but not working, you're handicapped, right? Uh, every now and then, you know, you have your foot go numb or something, and then you get up and you're kind of, you know, hobbling <laughs> around. Or, or you uh, break your arm and you're in a cast and you're kind of, you know, stove up for a while and so forth. You know, uh, it's present, but it's not functioning. That, you're handicapped. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ, in the local church. Uh, the, the parts of the body all need to be present and functioning, right? In order for the health and, and growth and life of the church to take place. And way too many Christians I know act as if their active participation in the local body of Christ of which they're a part is some sort of optional extra in their Christian life. Like what the part of the Christian life which really matters is me and Jesus. And those other people, you know, I mean, they're my brothers and sisters, but we don't get together with them. You know, there's like the part of the family we don't see. You know, we don't get together with the body of Christ too much because if we do, I mean, you know, some of those people are not, they're not comfortable to be around. And so we just don't hang out with them. We don't see them regularly, right? That is not the idea of the Scriptures. The Scriptures would indicate to us that we are one body and we are all meant to be present and functioning together for the overall health and life of one another, right? And just as there is a part of your spiritual life, which is me and Jesus, there's also a part of your spiritual life, which is we and Jesus. Amen? Amen. True story. That's reality. Uh, we are all interconnected. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, I think one of the great myths, honestly, of the modern evangelical church, and if you read enough books about the spiritual life, what they'll all deal with is this. They'll, what this is what they'll all tell you, okay? They'll tell you that if you want to grow spiritually, what you really need to do, you need to get yourself a quiet time, and then they'll recommend some individual spiritual disciplines for you to practice. You know, well, maybe you need to spend some time in solitude, or maybe you might try journaling, or you might try... Uh, uh, fasting, or you might try this, or you might try that. But you know what the common interconnecting thing between all those things is? It's you by yourself with Jesus. And there's no sense in a lot of those books about the reality that you are meant to be connected to a larger whole. And it's as you're connected to that larger whole that you are also growing in Christ. And God put us in relationship with each other, not by accident, because there is one body and one head and one spirit who connects us all. Amen? Uh, a severed finger can stay alive for a while on its own, but only under very carefully controlled conditions. Amen? You've got to get a beer cooler. You've got to get some ice. You got to get to OSF and have that thing reattached quickly, or it's going to die, right? The same thing happens with the body of Christ. 
In fact, very often as a pastor, one of the first signs that I get that somebody is in trouble, that they are in trouble, is where their participation in the life of the body of Christ starts to take a left turn. And you start seeing them less and less, and they start drifting away from everybody and everything they were involved in with church. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, didn't you hear? He got divorced, or she had an affair, or he got into alcohol really deep, or, uh, well, you know, he just started spending a lot of time at work, and he really doesn't have time for church and that kind of thing anymore, and he's just kind of, you know, away from the Lord right now. How does that happen? He got disconnected from the body of Christ first. Being connected in the body is vital to our life, just like having your arm or having your tongue or having your heart connected to your body is vital for your life and for mine. Amen? That's true. There is one body. And there is one, uh, and we are all members of it, and it is that way with Christ. And that oneness that we have is only possible through the Holy Spirit. Paul says through the Holy Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And here's what that means. It means that when, by faith, a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they confess their faith in Him. They say, I am a sinner who is separated from God who deserves to go to hell, but God in His grace has sent the Son to be the Savior, and I'm putting my trust in Him. And when they believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead, then they are given new life. At the moment that their faith is expressed in their heart, The Holy Spirit connects them to Christ and to the body of Christ. He baptizes them into the body. Now, that word baptism is important, okay? If you look historically at what baptism is, baptism is the moment where you express publicly before the body of Christ that you are now part of it, that you have a, are a person whom the Spirit has brought to new life. And it's the initiating act by which you are welcomed and received into the community of the body of Christ. And you're saying, I belong to this. To the, I belong to this. I belong here. I'm one of you. And you, as a result of your testimony, are received. And what it's doing, in part, is showing in a physical, visible way what has happened in a spiritual way by the Spirit. That you have been washed and cleansed of your sin by belief in the gospel, and you have died in your old life and been brought to new life by the Spirit. And you are now associated with and connected to both Christ and to His body. And so he says, you have been baptized into the body of Christ. You have this, the, the water baptism pictures the spirit baptism you've already received by faith. And just as you are initiated into Christ and his body by the washing from sin by the spirit, so also your body is washed. And... Um, 
If that doesn't make sense to you yet, that's okay. We'll get to baptism in a few weeks. I'll explain more about what baptism is about and why we do it and why the Lord commands it for us. But Paul's point is to emphasize that there is one baptism by the Spirit into one body of Christ. And he emphasizes that because of what he says next. Look at the text. All baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Now we might be tempted, and I I sometimes get in a hurry as I'm doing my Bible reading, and you just kind of gloss over that, right? Jews or Greeks. Or, you know, if you talk to Wendy, and you ought to do that, by the way. Uh, Sister Wendy is one of the wisest, godliest women I know. You should spend time with her, okay? It will be edifying to your soul. Uh, But talk to her about Jews and about Arabs. And the relationship there is much the same as what Paul is saying when he says Jews and Greeks. Okay? And in other words, you have been put into this one body of Christ with people you would not naturally, normally, usually associate with. You know, we gloss over that and we just kind of go, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we're all one body. Yeah, Jews and Greeks. Okay, got it. Got it, Paul. Thanks for clearing that up. Okay, but just think about this for just a minute. In reality, in real life, okay, imagine you're a Jew and you have been, you are, you have been raised Orthodox your entire life and you have been taught that that which comes from the pig is unclean. And so you don't eat bacon, and you don't eat sausage. And you don't know what a ham hock is, right? And you don't know about spiral sliced honey ham, right? Glorious Thanksgiving, right? Okay. You don't know what you don't know what ribs are, you know? You don't have that, right? And then you show up at church to the potluck with somebody who's got one going around on a spit outside, right? What are you going to bring to the potluck, right? And on top of that, how are you going to be in relationship now with people that you have nothing in common with culturally and religious background-wise? You don't dress the same. You don't have the same customs. You don't have the same diet, And now you're supposed to be part of the same body and fellowship together. How's that going to work? I'll tell you how the only way it works, only way it works, is by the Spirit. God has to do something supernatural, in other words, in order for this to happen. Right? God has to do something supernatural in order for this to happen. If you're a Gentile and you grow up and you know eating all this stuff and living like a pagan and going to the temple and having relations with the temple prostitutes and all this, and you come to faith in Jesus, and now you have to go, whoa, my life is going to have to do a 180 from what I've been used to doing. 
And you've got people in the church who not only didn't do that, but that's the furthest thing they can imagine from doing. They would no sooner go to an idol temple and visit a temple prostitute than they would cut off their own head. And now you're going to be in church with them. And now these people are going to naturally, normally be like, well, I'm glad that God didn't save me out of that background. Let me tell you. I mean, you know, I have a testimony of how I came to Christ, but I mean, they have a testimony. I'm telling you. I mean, wow, right? I mean, mine is kind of French vanilla, but theirs is like double fudge chocolate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Okay, and now God puts all these people together. And you know what? God is still in the business of doing that. God is still in the business of doing that. And He still intends for people of all kinds of different backgrounds and cultural uh, alignments and political uh, preferences and socioeconomic structures and... um, And varieties of testimonies of how we came to Christ. For all of us to be in community together. And part of the reason he highlights Jews and Greeks and slaves and free is to remind us that God is still in the business of putting together people who don't normally naturally relate to one another. And I think part of the point that he is making is this requires the Holy Spirit's activity in order for this to occur in the way that God intends. So just let me just throw out just a broad point of application. If being part of the body of Christ in the church is always totally comfortable for you, chances are you're doing it wrong. We are meant to be in community with people who are not exactly just like us. We are meant to be in the body of Christ with people whose life situation and background and culture and income and whatever does not make us totally comfortable. In fact, the more uncomfortable we are, the more likely it is that we're having to rely on the Holy Spirit to overcome our differences and build the real community that God intends for us to have. You know, in America, we don't do that. We don't do community. We don't do that. We say, you know, I need to go to a church that's full of people who are more like me. I mean, you know, I'm kind of an upper middle class, highly educated white guy, so I need to be in a church with all kinds of other upper middle class, socially mobile, uh, you know, well-educated white people. Because, I mean, after all, that's what makes me comfortable. And, you know, I didn't really fit into that church because, you know, there were too many, there were too many trailer park residents that were there. As if somehow that is godliness. Right? Well, you know, I I didn't go to that church because there really weren't enough people who were my age who were there. You know, it's really important to me that I be in church with a bunch of people who grew up in the same era that I did, listening to the same kind of music that I did, and uh, living the same kind of pagan lifestyle that I did. 
right? As if somehow this is godliness and this is the goal. Or, well, I, I used to go to that church, but somehow I got into relationship with people and I found out that they were sinners in a different way from me and I didn't like the way that they were sinners. And so I had to find a different church to be part of with more socially acceptable to me sins. Because after all, we know that my sins are the defining standard of righteousness. Right? And it sounds stupid, and it is. But we do that, don't we? And Paul says, God put us together in one community, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. I mean, that's the defining line right there, isn't it? Between somebody whose life is defined by having someone else tell them what to do and what to wear and what to eat and when to do it. Versus someone who is their own free citizen, able to go and do and be and whatever they want. Right? You want to talk about a socioeconomic divide? There's one. And we act sometimes as if the things that make us uncomfortable are features that are bugs that we need to flee from rather than features that we ought to embrace. This is my intention, that God baptized us by one spirit into one body under one head who is Christ. And he gave us, Paul says, one spirit to drink. In fact, he doesn't say gave us. He said made us to drink of one spirit. In other words, this is not something we would voluntarily do on our own. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Calvinist, okay? It's okay, I think God is a Calvinistic deity, all right? So, I think I'm in good company on that, okay? In other words, God called us, not because of righteous things which we had done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. There was nothing, I'll assure you, all that grand and spectacular about me, that God looked down through history and thought to himself, I've got to have that guy on my team. Okay? In fact, I have been an embarrassment to the Savior more times than I can count. And I'm betting if you're honest as you look yourself in the mirror each morning, you would say the same thing. And since we all know that, that it is by grace we have been saved and not from ourselves that we can't boast of any good thing that we have done that God went, oh, well, uh, since you did that. I mean, you know, obviously, right? And I can't ever look at God and say, hey, you're welcome. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You know, you're welcome, right? Uh, No, no. Okay, that it's by grace. And God gave, He made us to drink of one spirit because He made us one body. Amen? And we are meant to have real community. And since that is true, I want to just suggest a few points of application for us. That if it is true that we are meant to be one body with many members, baptized by one spirit, following one head, Jesus Christ, what does that mean for us? 
if God put if intent by intention people who would not normally and in fact require supernatural intervention to be together? What does that mean for us? Well, it means that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you need to find a local church to be connected to, first of all. And then you need to commit and dive in head first. You know what the difference between interested and committed is? I had bacon and eggs for breakfast this morning. The chicken is interested in breakfast. The, ba- the pig is committed. Okay, true story. <laughs> right? The chicken is interested. The pig is committed. Right? In the same way, if we want to enjoy real life together as the body of Christ and be part of the kind of community that God intends for us, then we need to commit our lives to each other. We need to commit our lives to each other. And that means that the relationships that we possess shouldn't be a Sunday morning phenomenon only. It shouldn't be that way within the body of Christ. Because it doesn't require a whole lot, I'll assure you. You know, if you've become basically a functional adult... You can go into a group of people, especially the same group of people every week, and be polite and be superficially nice and say, oh, how are you? Oh, it's good to see you. Have a donut, drink some coffee, etc. Come in, sing a few songs, and go home and not give another thought to anyone you were with all week. It's very possible to do that. In fact, I would submit to you that among most Christians in America, that's precisely what they do. But real community of the kind that Jesus is talking about and that Paul is describing when he talks about Jews and Greeks, bond and free, a part of one body, put together by one spirit, connected to one head who is Christ, That's a deeper kind of intimate connection than simply Sunday morning, hi, how are you? It requires investment of time and love and forgiveness and confrontation sometimes. You know, if your relationships with one another are, and my relationships with you are are, are not close enough where I know enough about your life, or you know enough about mine that we can come up alongside one another and say, you know, brother, sister, I think you're wandering off the path here just a little bit. Then something has gone wrong. We're meant to have those kind of relationships. If we're not close enough to one another that we ever hurt each other's feelings, it's because you don't know each other. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I have relationships with the guys I serve on the elder board with, and let me tell you this. We, are some, we have some great meetings. We do. We pray for each other. We hold each other up. 
I, have, I consider these men to be my friends, and I can very openly share with them what is going on in my heart and life and know that not only will they keep their mouth shut, but that they will pray for me and hold me up. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what else we experience? Sometimes we don't agree with each other. I know that seems strange, that unless you actually know any of us, and know that we are an opinionated group of people, okay? Me, most of all, okay? If you want to know what I think about anything, just ask. I'll give you a 20-minute dissertation on it, okay? And we don't always agree. And you know what? Sometimes we have to get off to the side. In fact, I've had to do this several times in the eight years I've been here, get off to the side of one of the guys and say, you know, uh, that really, I didn't express myself in such a, impressive fashion you know I was kind of angry and ungodly right there would you forgive me and they go yeah and sometimes I'll rat the guys out too sometimes they do the same thing where we get to disagreeing with one another and it gets heated and then somebody will like back up pray about it for a second and go yeah you know that really I didn't cover myself in glory right there would you guys forgive me and we do that right do you know why that's possible to do? Because we know each other. And, and we are close enough to each other that we see one another's sin. And when we sin in front of each other, as we sometimes do, there's, con- there's sometimes confrontation. A lot of times confession. And always forgiveness. Right? And God intends for those kind of relationships to be present in the body of Christ. That we are close enough to each other that sometimes we hurt each other's feelings. You know, I've said this before, and for me it remains the quintessential illustration of the puncturing of fantasy with reality. Okay? That we had, Karen and I, our first fight as a married couple leaving the church reception. Okay? We did. People were throwing rice at our car still, and we're having an argument in the car. (laughs) Okay? Why? We've gotten sideways with each other over stuff. My so-called friends had decorated our car in a nasty way, and I was upset about it, and she was in tears because this is supposed to be a happy day, and you're angry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Not sometimes matured all that much. That's just reality, okay? And, you know, you have to have confession and forgiveness if you want that thing to work long-term, right? And the same thing has to happen in the body of Christ. Our relationships ought to be close enough with each other that sometimes we step on each other's toes. Sometimes there's forgiveness required. Sometimes my sin is on display, and I need to go, oh, I can't believe I just did that. Oh, yeah, I can. (laughs) But in spite of that, would you forgive me? Right? If none of your relationships in the church require the Spirit's help, you're doing it wrong. If you are not in relationship with anybody close enough to where sometimes your sin is on display and you need to confess and get forgiven... Something has gone wrong. 
if no one ever is close enough to you within the body of Christ that they're able to share a burden with you, something has gone wrong. Our relationships ought to require the Spirit's help. They ought to require the Spirit's help to exist and to continue. That's part of the way it's designed. Amen? Last thing. Give grace from the Spirit. Right? If I'm convinced of anything, I'm convinced of this. That I am a recipient of unimaginable, indescribable mercy from the Spirit of God. Because there is nothing in this fool that is so worthy that God has to save me. Amen? And there's nothing in you either. And therefore, we have been the recipients of indescribable mercy and grace. And therefore, we ought to be the dispensers of mercy and grace, right? That we who have been given the Spirit to drink, uh, as in communion, we who have been baptized by the Spirit into one body and connected to one another, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all of us under one Lord Jesus Christ, are recipients of unbelievable grace. And so, we will need forgiveness and grace. You'll need people to be patient with you while you grow in Christ. And so you need to be patient with them too. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, it is indeed good to be home. It is good to be with the church, the local community of which you have made us apart and grafted us in though we were wild shoots you have connected us to the cultivated tree that Christ has planted and of which he is the head and Father I pray that as we are under the authority of Christ as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit who brings us into the thing to begin with that we would be characterized by grace and that we would be characterized by supernatural loving community. Community that's not characterized by people who all think the same and look the same and come from the same background and vote the same way and whatever else. But people who would not normally naturally be together But the Spirit is brought together and continues to bind together and to draw near to each other as we draw near to Christ. Help us to be that community, the one that the non-Christian world looks around and sees and says, those are Christians, and I'm not one, but if I ever became one, I'd like to be one like that. People who are characterized by love from the Spirit for one another. And Father, we pray that this might be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.